Hello, and welcome back to the Department 12 podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Butina, and I am joined tonight by Dr. Katrina Birch. How are you tonight, Katrina? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well under the circumstances. Um, Katrina is an assistant professor of IO psychology at Western Kentucky University. You've been there for uh, just a little under two years. And before that, you were an engineering psychologist, uh, which is a pretty cool job. Did that for a couple of years as well. Um, before that, you got your PhD at University of Connecticut. And I'm talking to you tonight because you uh, have, have a research interest in commuting, right? I do. It dominated my uh, graduate studies for six years. <laughs> so at the risk of dredging up horrible memories, I, I do have some questions for you because to me, it's a fascinating topic. And one of the, the things that interests me about it is we tend to look at work as an important part of our lives and home as an important part of our lives. But we just look at commuting as kind of a transition between the two. So I guess my first question for you as someone that studied commuting for, you know, six years or dominated your life, as you said, is do you think we should be studying commuting as its own domain, sort of in its own right? I I find that an interesting question, and I have a hard time thinking where I stand on that. Um, it's It's certainly the case that most people who study the commute think about it as a transition. Um, it's a time that doesn't belong to our work domain necessarily, mm-hmm. but it doesn't belong to our home domain either. We use the commute to physically move from one space to another um, and psychologically transition as well. So I certainly have studied the commute as a transition and it's my understanding that many people who study the commute think about it as a transition, but there are some people who really advocate that the commute should be counted as part of the work domain. Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah. There was this uh, medium article um, written by AJ Jones in 2018, who really argued that, Um, employers should be compensating employees for their commute time. Hmm. Yeah. And in that sense, it's something that should be thought of as uh, part of the work domain, not necessarily its own domain. Yeah. had said that the commute, has some symbolic value. It demonstrates an employee's loyalty and commitment to the organization, but when stripped to its core, commuting is nothing more than a sacrifice an employee makes to meet to meet the conditions of their employment. And I found that notion really interesting. And it's certainly the case that not in the United States, but in Europe, some employers actually compensate employees for time spent working during their commutes. Hmm. That is, that is very interesting. Uh, I guess the reason I asked the question is I uh, have spent uh, much of my adult life being uh, what might be called an extreme commuter. 
uh, with a very long commute uh, between. And, you know, part of that is just that, you know, between where I live and where I work, uh, you know, the good job opportunities tend to be pretty far away. And like a lot of people that have extreme commutes, I'm, I'm really not willing to move away from where I'm at now. Uh, but, you know, I have spent a significant amount of time commuting in my car. And to me, uh, at a certain point, it stops being about home or work, uh, even though I'm obviously doing it for work. Uh, and I spend enough of my life in that car that it feels like uh, it's its own domain. It certainly has its own sort of psychological boundaries and things. Um, mm -hmm. I consider the it uh, maybe more than a transition. But uh, anyway, moving on, there, there's been a lot of research on how work experiences spill over into our personal lives and our family lives, but relatively little uh, on how your work experiences spill over into the commute. Uh, why do you think that's important to understand? Well, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> First and foremost, I think we need to consider that spillover research primarily focuses on spillover between work and home because we understand that work and home are our two primary domains. Mm -hmm. We define ourselves primarily by our work and home domains. I'm a professor. I'm a researcher. I'm a human mom. <laughs> I'm a cat mom. And I've given you four identities and all four of them exist either in the work or home domain. So when we think of spillover naturally and unsurprisingly, we think of it as something that happens between these two domains, work and home. But I think we're also at a point as an IO research community where we need to be thinking more outside the box, especially considering spillover research. We know that spillover occurs between work and home and vice versa, but this research has largely ignored that there's this time that we spend as people <laughs> in between work and home um, and we're engaging in this potentially dangerous activity, commuting, right? And so spillover of negative um, workplace experiences or even negative home experiences into this commuting time where people need to be thinking about the commute and paying attention can be especially detrimental. I mean, catastrophic even. So... It's extremely important that we, as researchers in the IO community, start paying attention to this time where a bad interaction with a boss at work may influence the employee to, uh, or influence the employee negatively during the commute and potentially lead to an accident. Mm -hmm. And and I understand from reading your research, you know, one of um one of the papers that you co-authored is about sort of the effects of uh, that rumination on safety behavior. So uh, the, the path being, you know, you have a negative experience at work, maybe with a manager or what have you. Uh, you're in the car on the way home. And, and I, forgive me, I always think about commuting in terms of driving a car because that's my, mm -hmm. my normal. Uh, and in the United States, I think a lot of areas, uh, especially for people that are going from a suburban to an urban area, uh, being in the car is the normal thing. 
And uh, because, uh, you know, you're ruminating on this negative experience that you had at work, you know, your mental bandwidth is taken up with that rumination and you're not paying attention to what's going on on the road, which very quickly can lead to an accident. Um, I wonder also, um, does the spillover effect also affect the way we drive? Uh, so again, looking at commuting primarily in terms of driving rather than taking public transport, um, does having a negative experience at work uh, influence not only your attention, but the way you actually drive? Uh, yes, it does. Um, so it's the case with um, that published article that you mentioned um, where I looked at um, end-of-day job strain influencing one's commuting safety behaviors through this process of rumination. Research suggests that those who engage in rumination may not be able to adequately switch their attention from what is going on internally to what is going on externally. And commuting as an activity, especially when driving, considers or requires you to pay significant attention to your commuting environment. Not only what you're doing, but what other people on the road are doing as well. And when you're busy ruminating about some negative experience or interaction at work or the stress you had that day, um, you are taking your attention away from the road and you are engaging in behaviors that are significantly riskier than if you were devoting your full attentional resources to what was going on on the road. Mm -hmm. um, so w one question I have is, you know, uh, again, as somebody who spent, you know, uh, a substantial uh, portion of your life so far, sort of immersed in these questions, uh, if you had an unlimited budget and staff and so on, like what research questions would you be exploring related to commuting that you just think we haven't gotten into yet? So I, um, I would first and foremost develop an app, <laughs> pay to have an app, an app developed. Um, the first thing I would do, like, that would be the very first thing I would do. It's okay. the case that most people have cell phones and driving apps use uh, phones, GPS and accelerometer and can mm -hmm. actually capture some pretty cool data. So average speed, rapid acceleration, hard braking, cell phone use, even collisions. But so many driving apps are hard to access as a researcher because many of them are thought or through um, private insurance companies or extremely expensive to get access to. Mm. So I would want my own app and actually my dissertation, I, I used a, a publicly available app to collect some really cool driving data on potentially aggressive driving behaviors. Uh, but the app was uh, essentially a family driving app where you could um, have, you, you had the app on your phone and a family member could have the app on their phone and then you could track their trip Okay. And their driving data. And so what I did with this, this 
family purpose app was I had a sample of, I think like 106 participants. Um, and I was basically one of their family members. So I had 106, uh, lines of, of data on this app. Um, and so they could see my information and I could see their information, but they could not see each other's information. Okay. Um, and it ended up being this really cumbersome way of collecting the data I was interested in this potentially aggressive driving data. Um, and I thought to myself after I was done with this data collection, collecting data from these participants on their objective driving behaviors over the course of five days that if I had unlimited amounts of money, I would pay to have my own app developed. (laughs) That's great. And thank you for sharing that story too, because I, uh, you know, I I think especially uh, grad students or, or even undergrads who are considering going to graduate school, you see these published papers or dissertations and Everything looks very clean and neat. And in reality, there are so many of these kind of like homebrew solutions that you have to come up with because you can't get to the data collection that you really want. So you find its second cousin somehow and uh, in this case, almost literally become family with the with the, your uh, subjects. So that's a, a great point. And probably uh, with, with enough data gathered through an app like that, you could start making some uh, inductive hypotheses as well. So yeah. I have a question about um, commuters who, you know, most of the research shows that on average long commutes have mostly, you know, negative outcomes. Um, I I know some people, I'm not one of them, but I know some people who really seem to do well with long commutes. They love having that time. Uh, They, you know, they're really into audiobooks or podcasts or, or whatever, but for whatever reason, they thrive. Uh, with a long commute. I wonder, has anyone ever researched them, figured out what made them different? Um, If you've ever come across that, and if not, what is it you would like to know about those people if you could find them? Yeah, so I'm sure people have explored these exceptions to the rule, because most often we think of people as having, with with long commutes, as, as feeling some sort of burden because of that commute. Um, and I, you know, I'm much like you, I think if I'm, I'm reading you correctly, I hate a long commute and I certainly got interested in this research, this idea of commuting because I had an ungodly long commute when I lived in, um, Washington state and I just had to commute something like 20 miles to Tualatin, Oregon for work and back every day, but I commuted through Portland, Oregon, and uh, and it ended up being somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half in the morning and upwards of two hours in the evening just to, just to move 25 miles. So, yeah. So I naturally got interested in, in this idea of commuting and this time between work and home, because man, I was so frustrated every time I got home from that commute, but I'm sure there are people who really enjoy long time spent in the car um, or traveling long distances. And I'm sure there are people who have explored these exceptions, but much of the research that's published 
has not. And there isn't a whole lot of research published yeah. on anything regardless. Um, I found one study that examined like satisfaction with the work commute and found that those who are more satisfied tend to be happier overall. And intuitively that makes sense, but certainly didn't examine what it is about these people that is so different. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's what I want to know is what is their secret sauce? I mean, if it's a, uh, a personality thing, you know, that you can't really change. That's fine. But uh, <laughs> I guess yeah. selfishly, I want to know how, how do we make this better for the rest of us? And sometimes well, looking at those exceptions uh, and seeing how they look at the world through their eyes can help. Well, I think there are certainly um, dispositional traits that maybe make some people uh, more adaptable to enjoying longer commutes. But You know, it might also be something where maybe these people who enjoy longer commutes enjoy the solitude or the quiet or say they have a particularly scenic route that they drive. Maybe they have a really great playlist or perhaps they're engaging in some particularly good audiobook or podcast um, that is really helping them to... Um, not only focus their attention on the commute, which is what they should be doing, but also maybe actively um, engaging their mind in other ways that is hopefully not distracting. Yeah. Well, Katrina, I want to thank you very much uh, for being on the show. I think it is a, uh, a surreal time to be talking about commuting. You know, as we record this, we're in the midst of the, the coronavirus uh, COVID-19 global pandemic and an awful lot of office-based workers and knowledge workers have zero commute. They're commuting from, you know, the bedroom to the home office or the dining room table. And, uh, you know, this is an interesting time to be thinking about this because hopefully soon uh, we'll all be resuming those commutes and it will be very interesting to think about uh, how we look at them differently. So thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to us this evening. Thank you. Yeah, I've actually... If I could just have a final thought on that. Sure. I do wonder if once we we return to our regularly programmed lives, those people who do have longer commutes, are they going to come out of this uh, situation appreciating appreciating the fact that they get to commute again, physically commute and psychologically commute via via their their car or their public transportation? Um because right now that's something that's missing. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I could see it going that way, but I could also see it going pretty far the other way where you get a couple of days of, yeah, this was nice getting out of the house, putting on real pants. Uh, <laughs> but, but then after that, it's like, wait a minute, I'm losing, you know, three hours of my day between the commute and getting dressed and, and getting ready. And I, I kind of liked this working from home thing, but I don't know which one it'll be or whether it'll be a combination, but maybe we'll have another episode and find out. Sounds good.